All right, we are going to call your attention uh, this morning to the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to read an entire chapter. Praise God. Chapter 45. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Barak, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Barak. You said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sign, and I find no rest. Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I will break down, what I have planted I will pluck up, that is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places, wherever you go. Thank you, Lord. And I'd like to speak to you this morning on this thought, what is your woe is me? Mm-hmm. Amen. And I'm going to ask Brother McKeon if he is in here. I don't, there he is. If Brother Jonathan, I would ask you if you would please pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, today we come to you with great needs in our lives. We do instructions and guidance today. We need your power to work in this nation and in every heart. We ask now that you speak to us, Lord, the words that we need to know and to hear. We might walk with you daily. We might put our faith and trust in you. And we might have your peace and your strength within our lives. Anoint your messenger, Lord, my God, today. We might know what you would speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And uh, really, uh, this, uh, my thought here this morning is, and I believe that at least in part of the context that uh, is taking place here in this reading is that God is trying to get us to look at the big picture. So often I think that we can get bogged down within our own little world and I'm not taking that and trying to downplay that at all because we do go through things and they they're they're real they're real you can't tell somebody that you know that is going uh, through stage four cancer that you know that's not real you can't tell somebody that you know has uh, is, is going through whatever they're going through you can't tell them it's not real. It's real. It's part of life. But there is a bigger picture. There, there's an author, James Hollis, and he writes this. He says, anxiety is the price for the ticket of life. Depression is the byproduct of our refusal to climb aboard. We all have a tendency to confuse faith and destiny between what life presents us 
and what we are meant to become. Your current status does not define your future. Mm -hmm. Only if you let it. Right. And Jeremiah, one of the great prophets, of course, and he preached for a period of 40 years. 40 years. How many of you were, how many of you were not here in 1980? Raise your hand. See, so Jeremiah had hit, the length of his preaching, the length of his ministry was 40 years, thereabouts. Covered five different kings. And apparently, Jeremiah did not like to write. So he found this gentleman by the name of Barak, and he employed him to be his professional scribe, reporter. We might call him a reporter, okay? It's not fake news, it is reporting. <laughs> and so he hired Barak to write all of the words that Jeremiah was receiving from God. And this time period, if you look at it like this, it, this would be like, like Jeremiah and Barak covering and reporting since 1980, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump. Now, we don't know how old Barack was during the years he wrote for Jeremiah, but most believe that he was fairly young. And your definition of young, my definition of young might, you know, might not be the same. But they believe he was probably in his, you know, when he started out possibly in his 20s. Most believe he was young. The historian Josephus writes of Barak that he came from a very distinguished family, highly educated, which would go and align right along with him being Jeremiah's scribe, because in order to be a scribe, you had to be uh, very uh, accurate and educated in the language and being able to reproduce it on whatever they wrote on and so on and so forth. So he was educated, and we find in Jeremiah 51, it talks about that Barak had a brother named Saraiah, who was an officer of high rank during the time Zedekiah was king. We also know that he was grandson. Barak was grandson of a gentleman by the name of Masaiah, I know that's not right, but that's <laughs> what you get. And his grandfather served as governor to King Josiah. So he had he had some solid background. He wasn't Jeremiah just didn't go out and you know and tap somebody on the shoulder. He tapped the shoulder of Barak because of who he was. And most likely, as uh, Barak became Jeremiah's companion and scribe, 
most likely it and of course Jeremiah was very unpopular but his message brought probably felt like that because of Jeremiah's message and the condition of the nation and the people that was current in his day he felt like that Jeremiah's message was going to get across to the people and they were going to come to a place of changing their lifestyle and repenting and coming back as Sister Smith said made an example here today doing that uh, that 180 and Jeremiah's message would be the focal point and the center point for a great spiritual awakening and a revival. So he bought into it. He said, sure, hire me, whatever the pay is. And Barak probably dreamed about you. We told you the the uh, of, of his grandfather and his brother. And so Barak probably possibly dreamed about, like all young men, about maybe the future success of Jeremiah's preaching, the change that would take place in people's lives, the great move of God that would come into the nation. And then because he had been that person that was so close to Jeremiah, that maybe he would be promoted to some high office in government. But things are not going according to his plan. In fact, Jeremiah is saying some things that he says are from God, but his message is not going over well with those that are hearing it. In fact, they are not wanting to change. And they're telling each other that Jeremiah's words will never come to pass. And it's gotten so bad that Jeremiah is either in jail or he's hiding for fear of his life or he's under house arrest. And so he can't even go out and deliver his message. So he says, Barak, you're going to get that promotion. You're not just going to write about what God is telling these folks, but you are going to have to go in my place because I can't get outside the door. So, Barak is beginning to ask himself what he's probably gotten into. Not the plans he dreamed of for his life. He was honored to have been asked to come alongside the great Jeremiah and be his personal reporter. But now Jeremiah is asking him to do something that he never signed up to do. He was okay with reading the book, but he was not okay with taking it outside the four walls of the hideout and preaching God's message to a people that were not in tune and did not want to hear what he had to say. 
it would kind of be like a message of warning to Israel would kind of be like that because see this message what I'm going to read to you this occurred 18 years before Jerusalem was destroyed so it would be kind of like the United States receiving an urgent 911 call around the year of 2001. You didn't get that, right? That was our, we had a 911 call 18, 19 years ago. So let me read to you. I've got to read this in order for you to get it. Because you see, chapter number 45 doesn't follow chronologically in order. Chapter 45 comes directly after chapter 36. You've got to understand 36 in order to find out why that Barak is in such a quandary. I'm going to read to you from the Living Bible. I think you'll, it, it, it'll be a little easier for you to understand. I have never read an entire chapter like I'm going to today, but I think you'll get it. And it's the only way that you can really understand the significance of what I'm saying here today. So we back up. Here is the message that Barak received from Jeremiah during that time period. The reason we know is the first verse in 36 is the same as the first verse in chapter number 45. In the fourth year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. So here we go. The Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Get a scroll, write down all my messages against Israel, Judah, and the other nations. Begin with the first message back in the days of Josiah, 18 years. Write down every one of them. And perhaps when the people of Judah see in writing all of the terrible things I will do to them, they will repent and then I can forgive them. You know what God wants to do? God wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to help you. He is not a God of destruction. He is a God that builds you up after He saves you. He says, Jeremiah, you need to from the beginning, you need to write it all down and hopefully this message will turn the heart of the people and I can forgive them and not do what I'm telling you that I'm going to do if they don't. So Jeremiah sent for Barak 
as Jeremiah dictated, Barak wrote down all the prophecies. When all was finished, Jeremiah said to Barak, Since I am a prisoner here, you read the scroll in the temple on the next day of fasting. For on that day, people will be there from all over Judah. Perhaps even yet, they will turn from their evil way, ask the Lord to forgive them before it is too late, even though these curses of God have been pronounced upon them. Barak did as Jeremiah told him, read all the messages to the people in the temple. This occurred on the day of fasting in December the fifth year. People came from all over Judah to attend the services. Barak went to the office of Gemariah, the scribe, to read the scroll. This room was just off the upper assembly hall of the temple near the door of the new gate. When Micaiah, son of Shepham, heard the message from God, he went down to the place, to the conference room, where the administrative officials were meeting. Okay? When he heard him, he says, hey, this is something that the, the officials, the governor needs to hear about this. And when he told them about the message Barak was reading to the people, the official sent Jehudi, whatever, to ask Barak to come and read the message to them too. And he did. By the time he finished, they were all badly frightened. We must tell the king, they said. But first, tell us how you got these messages. Did Jeremiah himself dictate them to you? Barak explained that Jeremiah had dictated them to him word by word, and he had written them down in ink upon the scroll. You and Jeremiah need to hide, they said. Don't tell a soul where you are. Then the officials hid the scroll and the room and went to tell the king. The king sent Jehodi to get the scroll. Jehodi brought it from Elishama, the scribe, read it to the king as all his officials stood by. The message is getting to high places. The king was in a winterized part of the palace at the time, sitting in front of a fireplace, for it was December and cold. And listen to this. And whenever Jehudi finished reading three or four columns, the king would take his knife, slit off the section, throw it into the fire until the whole scroll was destroyed. No one protested except three of them. They pled with the king not to burn these words, but he wouldn't listen. Not another of the king's officials showed any sign of fear or anger at what he had done. Then the king commanded that to arrest Barak and Jeremiah, but the Lord hid them. And the king burned the scroll that the Lord had said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, after the king had burned the scroll, the Lord said to Jeremiah, get another scroll and write everything just as you did before and say this to the king. The Lord says, you burned the scroll because it said the king of Babylon would come and destroy the country and everything in it. 
And now the Lord adds this concerning you. He shall have no one set upon the throne of David. His body shall be thrown to the hot sun. I will pour out my evil upon him as I promised the rest of the people. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, dictated it to Barak, all he had written before, only this time the Lord added a lot more. And that was what I read to you from his message to the king. In other words, everything that Barak was hired to do, he was okay with writing it. But then he had to take this message out to the, the into the house of God. From there it went into the high places of government till it reached the king's very desk. The king heard it and he did not want to believe that God was fixing to do something to his people and to their nation unless they turned from their evil ways. And so he cut up the book and they threw it in the bonfire in Portland, Oregon, along with the flag. And Jeremiah, the, the Bible says, and God hid them both Jeremiah and Barak and Jeremiah comes out with a new word to add to what he had just said and he says Barak you need to rewrite this book and here's some more another chapter that I'm going to give you and Barak says woe is me And now we go to 45. And Barak is beside himself. And he says, Woe is me! For the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. He says, I am tired and weary with my groaning. He says, I can't sleep at night. And now this additional burden has come into my life. God reminds, this is a reminder, folks, and, and we're going to go through these five short verses here, but it's a reminder, one of these verses, the Bible that God speaking, he says, uh, listen, he says, you need to understand that I will bring adversity on all flesh. Mm. Nobody gets out alive. You do know that, right? right. Unless we get, unless we hit the rapture. Amen. Mm. Adversity comes upon all flesh. Right. Our challenge sometimes as servants of the Most High God is that we get mired down in the pit of life and we are overcome with the things that come our way and God is saying you need to understand church 
that there's a bigger problem out there. There's a bigger picture out there. You need to understand that what I want to do is I want to save your nation. You need to understand I want to save the world. And you need to understand that you need to rise up. But you need to understand that I am not done with you. You need to understand that your adversity is just one of those things in life that you have to bear. But there is a world out there that is waiting for you not just to write a nice little short story because the book's already been written. He said, Barack, you need to go take this message out to the people. Listen carefully. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, O Barak, you said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. In other words, he said, Jeremiah, I've got another chapter that you need to deliver, but this chapter is not for the nation of Israel. This chapter is for Barak. You need to understand that. Listen, do you really get the idea of how closely and intimately that God is connected to the words that proceed from your mouth? Do you understand that He hears exactly every word, every conversation that comes from you? The Lord is listening yes. and He knows where you're at. Yes. Wow. The Lord's listening to your conversation. I'm guessing there's a reason why Jesus said, hey, when you're, be careful, you know, slow to, slow to speak and, and quick to hear. He said, but mostly, if you can, just condense it. Yay, yay, nay, nay. Yes, no, yes, no. Maybe, maybe. Condense it. But he said, he said, listen, he's, you said the Lord is speaking. Imagine Jeremiah walking up to Barak and he says, Barak, here's another chapter, but you need to understand, Barak, that the Lord said he heard what you said to him and he's got an answer for you. And you better listen. The Lord said, you said, woe is me, and that I have added more onto your life than what you think that you can bear. And it's causing you weariness. And it's causing you a lack of sleep. He says, listen, Barak. He says, I know where you are at. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. You can't hide from him. Verse number four says, thus you are to say to him, 
Thus says the Lord, what I have built, I'm about ready to tear down. And what I have planted, I'm about ready to uproot the whole land. And he says, while I'm doing this, verse number five, and you are seeking great things for yourself. You understand? You get the picture? God is about ready. He is about ready to rapture the church. Which means if you're not in the rapture, <laughs> he's about ready to pluck up what he is in the process of building, that's you and me. But the other hand, he's about ready, you know, there's an opposite there. And he says, and you are still have this desire in yourself that you have a personal ambition that you think supersedes the big picture of God? If I could give you my commentary on it, he's saying, Barak, you need to let whatever is driving it, whatever ambition is driving you, you need to get that ambition into the passenger seat and you need to let the will of God take over and be the driving force in your life Amen. because right. the world is depending on you getting yes. Jeremiah's message out to the people so they can change their life right. so that I can save them. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Says in you're seeking great things for yourself. He said, do not seek them. Okay. If you insist. <laughs> Somebody got it anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. I am a person of ambition. Still, I am a person of drive. I am a person. Right. But you you need to understand that there comes a time in your life as an individual. There comes into the life of the day of the church when no longer do we have that distinct privilege of claiming our own personal drive and ambition, setting it up on a higher plateau than the will of God to go forth and the gospel to go forth into the lives of the people so that they can experience exactly what you are experiencing because they are going through that Barack deal. They're saying, woe is me. I wish I could somehow get delivered from my situation. Are you still seeking great things for yourself? Amen. God said, do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh. But here's, but here's the idea. Here, here's what he says. He says, but Barat, he says, I will give you your life as a prize in all places wherever you go. 
This is taken from the meaning. It, the meaning is taken from the idea of fighting a major military bloody battle and coming out victorious and alive. In other words, walking off the battlefield still intact to fight another day. In other words, he's saying, Barack, you need to understand if you get a hold of this thing, he says, it don't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter. He says, every battlefield that you endure every day, I assure you that you're going to walk off that battlefield in victory and you're going to fight another day because I am with you, sir. I just need you to accept your destiny in life and go about my father's business. Amen. You imagine that with the assurance that no matter what I go through, no matter what I go through in life, I walk off that battlefield with my life preserved because all through everything, life is the prize of life. It isn't gold. It isn't silver. It's your life. Hallelujah. Imagine, imagine somebody walking up to you, and I know that it happens, but probably not from Jeremiah. He walks up to Brock and says, hey, Brock, I want you to know today's message for you, sir. Five verses. But this one's for you. Because God has heard what you're going through. God has heard your cry, woe is me. And he wants you to know that he has not left you. That he is going to bring victory into your life. Notice what he said. Barak says, woe is me now. In other words, it's just a temporary situation. Today is going to change. Tomorrow will come. Your life will change. Your illness will be healed. Sometimes we need to remember when you're going through a tough spot, Life hasn't always been that way, right? right? Barack had some good days, man. He had some victories to chalk up. That's what we listen. Young people, whoever, this morning, whatever you're going through, you need to understand that God hasn't always allowed this current situation to be totally present. This doesn't dictate your future. It's a temporary residence. He's got more for you. He still loves you. He still wants you to be successful in living for Him. King got so mad after hearing what he wrote that he threw him in the fire and said, go get him. 
Fortunately, the Bible says the Lord hit him. Yes, amen. But then Jeremiah steps out and says, write the second edition. It's just a reminder that God's in charge. And yes. yep. It would be like when he says that he is going to tear down the thing he built up. It, this is, if, let me give you an example here, and this is probably not a very good one, but it's the only one that I could come up with. Imagine that you found a family that really needed help, and you were, you were, you were a, a person of much resources, and so you, you have such a heart of compassion that you build them a house out of your own pocket. And the only thing you do is you have them sign a renter's agreement that they will follow the owner's guidelines and keep the home in order. But they completely ransack the house. They leave it so filthy, polluted, that you have to kick them out, tear down the house, and start over. That's what God is saying. But then he added to it, and I, I, I did, honestly, I, I did not know that, you know, Sister Smith was going to show that uh, Brother Bernard uh, clip and necessarily what the, the uh, lesson was on. But, and then God's telling Barak things are going to get worse before they get better. But you are going to be victorious. Amen. That's right. You're going to walk off that battlefield every day with a feeling not that you have accomplished something great or men to give you great compliments on, but you have fulfilled your walk with God. You have ran your course in victory. Amen. Whatever he was seeking at that moment, there quite possibly was an underlying something in Barak that he wanted to achieve. And this, the work of God was getting in the way. It was blocking his plans. We don't know what it was. But God says, don't seek it. That's what he said. A man tells the story of a dream he had. He was in his second half of life and he was taking a class at a university. It was time for the exam and he knew he was not only unprepared, but everyone in his class was so far ahead of him. He knew he, he was going to fail the test. But in his dream, his instructor walked over to him and whispered in his ear and says, I am not going to let you fill this course. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. There's that. God is not, he is not going to let you flunk. He is not going to let you fail this course of life. He is going to give you everything that is in his resources, 
which is everything that you can imagine. And he says, you are going to make it. You're going to make it in victory. You're going to live in victory. People are going to see your model of a lifestyle that is pleasing to me. And given the opportunity, you're going to have an opportunity to give them the good news. Not the bad news. You're going to give them the good news. That God came manifested in flesh. And He gave His life on Calvary. And He died. And He rose again. And He's coming back. Right. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he wants you to be his adopted son and daughter. Thank you, Jesus. No matter how many fall by the sword, no matter how many go the way of famine and, and disease, you will walk out of any situation Thank alive you. wherever you go. Did I tell you the meaning of the name Barak? It means blessed by Jehovah. <laughs> we could go to Psalm 1 and there it would tell you, give you a little bit of defined definition as far as a blessed man, but Psalm 103 tells us this. This is a blessed man. I don't know if they can put it up. I guess the screen went haywire on us. I don't know. Psalm 103 says, Forget not all his benefits. Yes. Amen. Amen. When you're down and you're out, when adversity, when the pits of life come, when you, when you reach the point where you say, Woe is me now! The psalmist writes and he says, don't forget your benefits, for he forgives and he heals. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. He redeems your life from the pit. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. He crowns you with loving kindness Thank and you, compassion. Lord. He satisfies your mouth, you, your necessity Thank and desire at your personal age with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles strong overcoming and soaring jeremiah had his woe is me chapter number 10 and 19 jeremiah writes this he says, woe is me. He says, my wound is severe. He says, but I say this is an infirmity and I must bear it. I believe that the Bible tells me, Jesus says, he says that he will never put more on you than you are able to bear. And with everything that you got loaded on you, he will make a way of delivering you. Jeremiah says, oh man, he says, I've reached it. He says, I reached that point. He says, my wound is severe. He says, but this is my infirmity that I must bear. You can't pass it on. You can't give it to your neighbor. 
Husbands can't give it to their wives. Wives can't give their adversities to their children. You can't give your adversity to me. I can't give mine to you. I have to live my life as the, as God deals toward me, the same that you, brother Tim. If I could, I would. I if I could, I would heal you. If I could, I would lift your burden. If I could, I would meet whatever need it is in your life. But I can't do that. You have to go to God so that He can meet your need, so that you become acquainted with the goodness and the mercy and the compassion that God has for you. His name means blessed by Jehovah. Barak is the only man from the Old Testament who has been fingerprinted. In 1975, a group of archaeologists purchased some clay document markers from an Arab antiquities dealer. These were actually bookmarks from the ancient world and were not deciphered until 1986. When they did, they discovered that one of them had the seal of Barak, the son of Neriah. Since then, another marker was discovered that bears not only Barak's seal, but also a thumbprint, which probably, they say, belongs to Barak. Barak's influence was so strong in Jewish history that there is an ancient book that bears his name, and the belief is that he wrote this book. It's called the Book of Barak, and some religious organizations actually include it in their readings. It's in the Apocrypha. You see... Today, we need to move to a new woe is me. We need to redefine it. Isaiah 6, 5. Here is the woe is me. King Uzziah, the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. And, and I said, woe is me. The church needs to catch a, a woe is me vision that he is high and he is lifted up and, and he is exalted and he is on the throne of glory and the church is the apple of his eye. Isaiah said, woe is me. I have seen things that I shouldn't see. He says, and I am unclean. But the Bible says, and the angel took a, took a coal, a live hot coal from off the altar of God and came and touched his, uh, touched his tongue. And uh, the voice came back, who am I going to send? And Isaiah, the writing of, of the prophet says, well, he says, send me. Yeah. That's 
That's the woe is me that we need to get caught up in. That we see this one that we proclaim to the lost world. That we see him as not not, not all, you know, hanging on the cross, but, but He is the exalted, mighty God who abides on the throne of mercy. And He's saying, who will go for me? That was His woe was me. And I close as you stand. Paul had a woe was me. 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. The woe is me that Paul preached it. He didn't cry these words not when he was shipwrecked one of three times out in the middle of the ocean for a day and a half. He didn't cry, woe is me, when they stoned him and left for him for dead. He didn't cry, woe is me, when he was in the prison. He didn't cry, woe is me, when they beat him 39 stripes five different times. No, the woe is me came to Paul. He says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. It's a big picture. It's a bigger picture. It is the complete picture. That if we're, I believe that if we're, if we're close enough, if we're sensitive enough to the writings of the great ones, that God will anoint our eyes and we can see more clearly than a lot of people see today. We can see the big picture. You write the saying, the chorus, that victory is mine. Victory will prevail in my life today, tomorrow. Victory will prevail in my life inside and outside the grave. Because Jesus Christ overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he gave us the keys to the kingdom. Praise God. Yes. yes. And he's not tearing things down today. He's building things. He's building things. What is your woe is me today? My prayer is that if you have one, that God will open your eyes and give you clarity and that he will heal you, that he will, that you, he will give you the grace to overcome whatever is in your life. But, but, my prayer also is that if you don't have a woe is me, I'm praying that God will take you to a place where your, 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 your prayer is, woe is me, Lord. I need your help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. And if you're here this morning, if you need a miracle in your life, I assure you that the Lord knows where you're at. He knows your need. He has heard your conversations. And he wants you to know that he has listened very intently to what your heart has voiced, even though you, the words may have not came out of your mouth, but he listens to the heart. He hears the brokenness yeah. and the cries of the heart. Yes, he does. And he wants you to know that he knows it. And he wants you to understand that he will never, he's never going to leave you by yourself. He's going to help you get through it. Yes. Amen. He's going to help you get through it. Amen.
you're here this morning, you need a miracle, if you need deliverance, if whatever it is that you need, if, you, if there is a lowest me in your life, would you come this morning and allow the Lord to do only what He can do? Amen. He can lift that burden. He can, he can bring healing into your life. He can remove the anxiety. He can remove the depression. He can remove the oppression. He can remove that paranoia, the guilt, the shame, whatever it is. He can remove that from your life. And in its place, he can put his peace and his love and his joy and the assurance that you're going to live in victory. He's the only one that can do it. Would you come this morning? Would you come? Or you can be wherever you're at, right where you're at this morning. But if there is something in your life that is causing you distress and pain and anxiety, God never meant. I, I, I honestly, I do not believe that God ever intended for one of His sons and daughters to live life in mental anguish. Right. You'll never convince me that. That's the will of God. Never, yeah. ever, ever. Amen. I believe that I understand that it's tough. Life is tough. Life is tough. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that there is a there is a point that you can reach in God that He will still give you joy. He will still give you peace. You know why? Amen. Because the Bible tells me that is what the Holy Ghost brings. And if I have the Holy Ghost in yes. my life, then my life, and my life emanates with joy yes. and peace yes. and love. Amen. Would you come? Let's, would you pray? Would you pray? If you have special need, if you'd lift your hand, if you would like me to pray with you, for you, you come stand right here to the front. I'll make sure that I put a mask on. We'll anoint you. We'll pray that the Lord will bring victory into your life, healing whatever it is that you might need. But oh, let's, let's, let's reach out to Him. Amen.